Today's Discovering Music is about a journey. It's about how the modern trumpet became the instrument it is, and also about one work which is crucial in its development, which we'll be hearing in full. That's Haydn's Trumpet Concerto in E-flat. Well, this is as much a discovering music for me as for anyone, because I know next to nothing about how to produce sound from a brass instrument. In fact, I'm full of admiration for anybody who can turn the kind of spluttering noises I've made into real musical notes. So I'm absolutely delighted to have as my guide the principal trumpeter of the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, Philip Schartz. We've also got the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Ken Woods, who will be joining Philippe in the performance of the Haydn and Telemann trumpet concertos. Well, the trumpet is in fact one of the earliest instruments known to man. They found something like a trumpet in the tomb of Tutankhamun, that's 14th century before Christ. There's the biblical shofar, which was a trumpet made from ram's horn, or the Roman bukina, or the Viking lure, which you'll see emblazoned on those packets of Danish butter. But one of the things that makes the modern trumpet so distinctive is the fact that it has valves. Now, this is a 19th century invention, so in terms of the centuries-long history of the trumpet, it's very recent indeed. One of the things that the valves enable the trumpet to do is to play just about any note within the compass of the range. In other words, a chromatic scale is completely possible. But before the 19th century and the invention of the valves, the trumpet was actually very limited in the number of notes it could play. In fact, it was more or less restricted to the notes of what physicists call the natural harmonic series, the basic notes, the vibrations, the overtones associated with one basic note. If you don't use the valves on a trumpet, if you haven't got the valves, then all you can play are basically these notes. Now, some of those notes you've played sound, well, to modern ears, they'll sound quite a bit out of tune, won't they? Because we now have what we call equal temperament, which means that every chromatic note is the same distance from every other note. But that wasn't the case before Bach's time. And, um, in fact, on the old trumpet, the, the, the tuning was quite different, wasn't it? Yes. As you can hear, the sort of like third or the fourth note I'm going to try to play is really flat. And then also the top F, which is the third note after the C, is really, really sharp. And I'm trying to employ a technique which we call lipping, where I can lip one note up and the other note down. So you can actually lower or raise the tone a little bit just with your lips? Yes, that is a technique that was required at that time because obviously the notes were not um, correctly in tune. Therefore, the trumpet player at that time really had to lip the notes up or down. But there was a limit to how much he could fill in the space between the notes. Of course, you know, um, there's only ever possible to lip a semitone or maybe a tone, but uh, the notes that are very sharp he had to try to keep really low and the notes that are really low he had to sort of like really try to keep up a little bit. Well, the trumpet really came into its own as a concert instrument in the Baroque era. The most famous Baroque concerto for solo trumpet is Bach's Brandenburg Concerto No. 2. Actually, it's not, strictly speaking, a trumpet concerto because there are three other soloists as well. But it is a work in which the solo trumpet spends a lot of time in the spotlight in a concert orchestral work.
Now, a great deal of the trumpet writing in the Bach Brandenburg Concerto sounds extremely high to us, because the higher up the harmonic series you go... closer the notes get together, and so you can play melodies as well as simple fanfare figures. Still, this would have required an absolutely top player. In this concerto particularly, Bach sort of like demanded the top high G on a B-flat instrument, but he starts the concerto actually with the normal harmonic series, which goes like this. That is the beginning of the first movement. And then in the beginning of the last movement, he uses the trumpet exactly an octave higher. So the higher you get up the trumpet, the nearer you can play to a scale. Yes, that is because when you sort of like look at the harmonic series, the gaps always get smaller, therefore you can play more notes. Well, let's come now to our first proper whole piece, Telemann's Concerto in D major for trumpet. This trumpet concerto by Telemann is in four movements, and it starts with an adagio, which is a slow movement, which is quite unusual for a trumpet concerto of that time. Um, the trumpet writing does have a, a relatively lyrical character, but maybe you could show us the difference between the effect on, on the trumpet that Telemann knew, more or less, and the trumpet as we know it now. Sure. And how much easier is that on the modern trumpet? Obviously because the valves are there, it helps me kind of like produce those notes because I just put the valve down in order to make that note happen. Mm. But still there is an, a lot of amount of pressure needed, a lot of amount of uh, control of the embouchure of the lips in order to make those high notes happen. That certainly sounded smoother, though, to me, Philip. Is that because of the valves? Of course. Um, the action that is required in order to make the notes become smooth, and also you can use a technique called legato, is that you have to, at the precise moment, put the certain valves down, which you haven't got when you play sort of like a baroque trumpet, when you have to open the holes or when you use, you know, closed um, tube. So it helps really when you precisely open the tube, kind of like the valves, and then the ho note hopefully should happen. And what you're doing is, is changing the tube length, is it? Is, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, basically, I mean, the trumpet sort of like is put together. If you put one valve down, you get a semitone. If you put another valve down, you get a whole tone. And then if you put a third valve down, you get a tone and a half. That's basically how the valve system is, is intended. And that's, as it were, filling in the gaps between Absolutely. Those, that that those makes it possible to play chromatic tones. Well, let's hear some more of the, the more familiar kind of brilliant trumpet writing from the Telemann Concerto with the orchestra now. I think the second movement is an allegro, and this, this really shows off what the, the Baroque trumpet could do, doesn't it?
Very typical, that sense of dialogue there, ideas being passed forwards and backwards between the trumpet and the orchestra. Now, there's a slow movement third in the Telemann, and this is rather interesting because it illustrates a problem with the trumpet of the time, because the trumpet simply doesn't play here, which is that when you come to lyrical, slow, reflective, meditative music, the trumpet just isn't really up to the job. But you say that was fair, Philippe. I mean, because, you know, you, if you, you can play smoothly in the high notes at the top, but, but lower down, you're stuck with the very few notes, aren't you? Yes, because the, the instrument at the time that they used the Baroque trumpet, it wasn't possible to produce notes down, down low. It's only possible to produce the high notes up a certain harmonic. And then also another factor is very important is that the trumpet player really do needs a bit of rest. Because obviously at that time, you know, the lips, and, and even today, mm -hmm. um, you know, you need uh, some rest so that you can, you know, some fresh blood goes through your lips and then you are able to play again. So Telemann's being very practical here. Oh, yes. <laughs> but uh, he has to give you a rest, doesn't he? Because what you're expected to do in the finale is, is much more agile, isn't it? This, yeah. is, this is very exciting trumpet playing. Perhaps we can hear the beginning of the finale now. Now, that kind of florid, very active trumpet writing is typical of the Baroque, but the way this concerto ends is rather interesting as well because what Telemann does is bring us right back to the basic fanfare style of the trumpet writing that's existed for centuries. And in a way, I think that would have been probably what the audience would have expected, and they might even have felt cheated without it because it does make a kind of fine, emphatic, triumphant ending. This is how the concerto ends. trumpet very much in traditional character there at the end. Well, let's hear the whole now of Telemann's concerto in D for trumpet. It's not very long. It lasts about 10 minutes, but it gives a fair idea of what the trumpet could do in the hands of a really fine player in the late Baroque era in the, in the 18th century. And also, by implication in its absence in the third movement, what it couldn't do as well. Telemann's concerto in D.
Telemann's Concerto in D. The trumpet soloist was Philippe Schatz, and the BBC National Orchestra of Wales leader Leslie Hatfield was conducted by Ken Woods. Now, that's a lovely and very enjoyable piece, but I think by common consent, the first real masterpiece for solo trumpet in the concerto repertoire is the concerto in E-flat by Joseph Haydn that he wrote in 1796 for an especially brilliant trumpet player called Anton Weidinger. Now, Weidinger wasn't just a great player, he was also a great innovator. He looked at the woodwind instruments of his time, and especially the revolutionary new clarinet, which, as its name suggested, was actually closely associated with the trumpet. The one old word for the trumpet is a clarion. Weidinger looked at the clarinet and at its keys, and he could see that this instrument could do an awful lot that the trumpet couldn't, particularly for filling in those gaps in the harmonic series. And he wondered to himself whether it would be possible to do something like this on the trumpet. Well, Philippe hasn't managed to lay his hands on the very trumpet that uh, Anton Weidinger invented, but he has brought along something very similar. Could you tell us what this is, Philippe? Yes, this is now actually a keyed trumpet in E-flat. This is a wonderful instrument that uh, a trumpet maker down in Surrey has made um, uh, by the name of David Edwards. And um, this instrument is um, a copy of an instrument that is in a museum in, uh, in Vienna. Uh, by uh, Joseph Riedel, and um, this instrument I picked it up over the weekend, especially for this program because it was very important to I think to demonstrate what we think it, it, it sounded like during Haydn's time. So this instrument is, is is a gem. I think you know I really would like to have one of those instruments at some point. Were there any surprises for you in the way that it sounded? Oh yes, um, because um, if I just compare it to the sound of the rock trumpet, it's quite direct. This is now really much more mellow. And um, in a way, it sounds a bit like a flugelhorn, a modern flugelhorn. And now I think the, the, the sound of the trumpet has really changed. And um, it is a mixture maybe between the um, uh, fanfare sound of a trumpet and the mellow sound or the, the high piercing sound of an oboe. Could you show us a few things that this Sure. This First of all, I'll try to do. play the, um, uh, just sort of like the, the key of E-flat. And then obviously the novelty is that I can now play a diatonic scale at the bottom of the register. And of course the, the other big novelty is that I can produce semitones. What did Weidinger do to the instrument? He didn't just bore holes in it and put shutters on the top, did he? No, he, he was very clever. Um, he sort of like, first of all, as you can see, the long baroque trumpet is sort of like long and only bent twice. But this instrument here now is bent for the first time three times. And he added those four keys to it. Now we know that at the beginning there was experiments with the horns and they added two keys. Now with this trumpet they added then three keys and now four keys. But those keys have to be placed in specific sort of like areas of the trumpet on the bell section as well as on the first long tube here in order to produce those chromatic tones or those new diatonic tones in the bottom. And what they do effectively is, is, is change the length of the tube or the amount of tube that's vibrating, don't they? Yes, absolutely, because again, if we look at the very first sort of like trumpets that we found, they were about um, 224 centimeters long and this one is only about half the length. actual beginning of the Heide Concerto would have sounded something like this.
Now, it's important to stress, isn't it, Philippe, that that would have been extraordinary for someone in 1800 to think that the trumpet could be as agile as that and, and, and play a melody like that right down in the bottom of its register. Yes, that was an absolute novelty. Um, because, you know, the, the Baroque trumpet, as we demonstrated, it was only possible to play a melody up high in the register, but to play anything down low, it was not possible. And this particular instrument now made that possible. Well, there were lots of other things that it made possible as well. In fact, Haydn wrote this concerto especially to demonstrate the new possibilities of this new instrument. It's a bit like, you can imagine, a kind of extra special road test on Top Gear with Jeremy Clarkson brought in to demonstrate, say, the world's first flying car. It would be almost as extraordinary as that. And when the trumpet was introduced to the world at a concert in Vienna on March the 28th, 1800, it was accompanied by a special advertisement flyer that Weidinger provided, in which he said he intended to demonstrate to the world for the first time so that it may be judged an organized trumpet which he has invented and brought after seven years of hard and expensive labor to what he believes may be described as perfection. It contains several keys and will be displayed in a concerto specially written for this instrument by Herr Josef Haydn, Doctor of Music. So the audience, if you can imagine, would be, I'm sorry about the pun, would be really keyed up to hear what this new instrument could do. And I'm sure they'd be expecting wonders from the first. But Haydn was a great tease in music. He knows that to spring all your surprises at once is not always a very good idea from a dramatic point of view. So he lets the orchestra on its own, as in a classical concerto, set the scene by playing a tune, a very lyrical and soft tune, on all the notes of the E-flat scale, very low down too. This is exactly the kind of thing that that audience would have expected that the trumpet couldn't play. Then comes the first big orchestral passage, with, complete with orchestral trumpets and drums. And what do you get on the trumpet? Well, it's almost a magnificent disappointment, as though Haydn is determined not to give the audience what they're looking forward to at first. It's just one note, and a very easy note for the trumpet to play. And then you get more notes in just in the traditional fanfare style, exactly the kind of thing that the Baroque trumpet we've heard in the Telemann could have played very easily. So you can imagine people are probably getting a bit fretful at this point and thinking, where are all these promised miracles? <laughs> And then for the rest of this opening orchestral section, the trumpet is silent again. What an anticlimax. Is this organized trumpet thing going to be a con after all? You can imagine people asking themselves that. But then the orchestra brings the opening section smoothly to a close and the soloist enters properly. And what's this? He's playing incredibly smoothly, a tune low down with all the notes of the scale, the very tune we heard right at the beginning of the concerto. It possibly might even have been a gasp or two from maybe one or two members of that Viennese audience in 1800. We'll take it from the end of the previous orchestral section so that you can appreciate the full effect. <laughs> Thank you. 
even that trill at the end is rather striking. I mean, Philippe, how easy was it to do trills on a trumpet before the invention of valves or keys? Well, there again, we have to consider that, you know, down low it was almost impossible to do. And I I've sort of I realized that when I got this key to trumpet there, because it's almost not possible. But again, up high, where the, again, the harmonics and the notes were closer together, it was more possible. But uh, down there, this is, a, again, a totally new novelty. But it was a much smoother business than the old lip trills, wasn't it? Of course, it? of course. So this, this would, again, would have been something quite stunning and new for that audience then. Well, what happens now is there's an orchestral tutti, and the trumpet answers the orchestra, but again, very lyrically, not in that old-fashioned fanfare style associated with the Baroque trumpet. And if you listen to Haydn's second answering phrase, the second phrase that answers the orchestra, it's not just the notes of an E-flat scale. We have extra notes, chromatic notes, like that chromatic scale that Philippe played right at the beginning of the program. And so smoothly, this again would have been quite extraordinary by the standards of the time. Now again, Haydn has another surprise for that audience. There's a quiet, long line, again, in smoothly flowing notes, the kind of smoothness that only really the valves can bring. And there's more chromatic bending of the scale, all done apparently effortlessly. So the amazing flying car is now well and truly airborne. Well, I let that music play on there for several reasons, partly so that you could hear some more of those extraordinary trills that the new trumpet could do, and also the chromatics, especially that long one at the end. But also, something else has happened, possibly imperceptibly here. We've changed key. Haydn's concerto is in E-flat, but now we're in the key of B-flat. Now, that's something that the old trumpet just couldn't do, or at least not elegantly, because once you've inserted the correct piece of plumbing into the end of the Baroque trumpet, you've more or less fixed it in its home key. But the new trumpet can soar from key to key, just like a bird. And there's another extraordinary key change just before the climax of the first movement, just before the recapitulation, where the first theme is brought back. Haydn turns to another key, A-flat major, and he makes it happen right at the top of an upward run so that it's very dramatic. And then, just to ram the point home, he has the trumpet play one of its very lowest notes. You hear it, and then just up a semitone, and then down again. That would have been absolutely beyond the wildest dreams of most 18th-century trumpeters.
There's a full recapitulation of the themes we've heard so far, and then a solo improvised cadenza, in which, no doubt, Anton Weidinger produced all sorts of more spectacular wonders, as I'm sure will Philippe for us in a moment or two. Then there's the conclusion. Now, the second movement, the central slow movement, brings another surprise for that 1800 audience. Because if you remember, Telemann left the trumpet out completely in the slow movement because the trumpet of the time found it so difficult to play low, quiet, sustained melodies. Now, surely the audience would have been expecting Haydn to do the same here. And the movement begins with a tune just for the strings. So it sounds at first as if Haydn's going to follow the traditional practice here and have the trumpet remain silent. But then, after just a few bars, in comes the trumpet on his own and plays exactly the same soulful melody as the strings. This is the trumpet as a singer, which again, by the standards of the time, is something previously thought impossible. And Haydn has more surprises after that. There's a modulatory passage where the trumpet leads the orchestra through a wide range of keys, including the incredibly remote key of C-flat major. Now, this, again, is something that would have been way beyond the Baroque trumpet. And so, again, it is a kind of road test for the instrument. Haydn is showing that audience just what this new instrument is capable of. And that's the point at which the opening theme returns. Only now, as you'll hear when we have the performance, that Haydn decorates this tune with all sorts of florid runs and embellishments, as though this weren't so much a trumpet as an opera singer, a bel canto singer, decorating the melodic line in all kinds of wonderful florid embellishments. 
The finale, too, the last moment of the Haydn concerto, has extra things to tell us about the character of the new instrument. But in a way, what Haydn's doing here is reconciling innovation with the old traditional character of the trumpet. What he's done so far has taken the trumpet a long way away, you might say, from its heritage as a, as a military, as a fanfare instrument. Now, what it seems that Haydn and Weidinger are saying is, see how the new instrument can enrich the old traditional character of the trumpet. In a way, that's something like that amazing florid high trumpet writing we heard in the short extract from the Bach Second Brandenburg Concerto earlier on in the program. But what Haydn and Weidegger have done here is greatly extended the possibilities open to the trumpet and enriched its capabilities. Uh, even more of that you get later on in the instrument where there are some amazing sort of agile leaps and trills for the player. And another long chromatic scale at the end, just to show how much the new trumpet can do. So this work really was full of surprises for that 18th century Viennese audience. And it's a turning point in the history of the trumpet. But what makes this trumpet concerto by Haydn so extraordinary is that even if you know nothing about how new the trumpet was in Haydn's time, and how new this, this, this particular kind of trumpet was, it still sounds like a marvelous piece of music. And so beyond its, its purposes for which Haydn has written, it survived as a valuable work in the trumpet repertory today. It's a piece that trumpeters still love to play. But there's an interesting point, I suppose a kind of sociological point on what's happening to the trumpet here. It's not just that new technical capabilities are being shown, because in Haydn's time, at the end of the 18th century, the whole world order was changing. It's one of those surprising things that you have to remind yourself that when Mozart and Haydn were young composers, composers were still servants who wore uniforms and obeyed the orders of their masters and wrote the kind of music that they were expected to write. So that was something that was beginning to change towards the end of Haydn's life with revolutionary new figures like Beethoven, the first successful freelance composer. So it's fascinating that the character of the trumpet, this age-old instrument, is changing at the same time. Because, in a way, the old character of the trumpet, that fanfare style, is very much associated with the old aristocratic order, the idea of, of royalty. I remember one writer describing the fanfare, the old trumpet fanfare, as the musical equivalent of the old coat of arms. But now, in the age when the idea of democracy is beginning to creep into the world, we have this new phenomenon of the free concert soloist, a kind of free spirit liberated by the new technology to play just about whatever he likes on the trumpet and to express it in a new kind of way as a star soloist in concert. Well, in a moment, we'll hear Haydn's E-flat trumpet concerto in full in a performance by Philippe Schatz. But before that, uh, if you have any questions you'd like to ask, or me or, or our soloist, if there's anybody, any, anything they'd like to ask at this point. Question right at the back. Thank you. Um, Philip seems to be playing his very new trumpet. I'm just interested to know more about why he's playing that very new trumpet and not the more original trumpets. Yes. Philip, why are you playing this on a modern trumpet and not on an original trumpet? 
Well, I think the answer is simple for me because I'm a, 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 a trumpet player in a modern orchestra. I'm not a specialist on Baroque instruments. And uh, this is the instrument that I will use because that's the instrument of today. But the difference between the modern trumpet and that keyed trumpet you showed us is far, far smaller than the difference between both of them, the Baroque trumpet, isn't it? Yes, of course. The, um, uh, what happened actually when this keyed in, uh, instrument came uh, into existence is that um, the, the, the trumpet sound, as we knew it, like from playing fanfares and signals, got, was lost a little bit and a new sound sort of like started. And that sound was then um, the new trumpet sound and it was accepted into music of art. It was really suddenly an, an, a sound that was accepted in the music world. It was not just a fanfare and a signal sound from the trumpet. So the instrument you're playing is really a kind of modern refinement of Weidegger's instrument, really? Absolutely. We can, we can say that two things um, in the modern history of trumpet have, have changed and, and are the most significant. One is that the, uh, the introduction of the valve um, uh, because that really is now the, the last sort of like development of the trumpet. And then the, the other one that is that the trumpet is now part of, of the music scene and not just a military instrument anymore. Anybody else, anything they'd like to ask? Um, how many trumpets do you have and which one's your favourite? A lovely question. How many trumpets do you have, Philip? I do have quite a few. My wife says I have too many. <laughs> but um, I only, the one that I use the most is actually a C trumpet, which I use in the orchestra all the time because that's my main job. And I haven't got that on stage. But, um, you know, the modern B-flat trumpet and C trumpets are the, the ones that I use the most. And uh, would you say those are your favorites, the ones you love to play most? Well, actually, since last weekend, if I have a bit more time, I will see whether I can get hold of um, a keyed E-flat trumpet because I think it's just wonderful, the sound. And I will uh, have to do loads of work, of course, but I think that is some, that's a new bus. <laughs> we can come back and do another program with you playing the Haydn on that, perhaps. Of course. <laughs> time for one more question, if somebody... Yes, we have uh, someone down here. Yes, thank you. With the um, invention of the valve being the... Um latest development. Would you say the trumpet is now perfect, or is there anything else you could add to it to make it better and easy to play? Philip, is your trumpet perfect? <laughs> if it was perfect, I would never miss a note. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yes, I, I think we cannot do much more to the trumpet. These days we try all sorts of different weights on the trumpets, weights off the trumpet, but the, uh, the trumpet as such, as we know it now, I think is almost is finished. There will you be think no... there's not much further for it to go now? No, I don't think so. Um, the, what the players, for example, now in the jazz scene and the commercial scene can do these days by the register I'm talking is amazing. Um, they, they really are as strong as those people who played that clarino register in the Baroque time, and that's fantastic. But I think the, the trumpet as such, I cannot see any, any further development in the next years. Well, let's hear then the work that started this all off and led to the production of this perfect trumpet. Haydn's Concerto in E-flat for Trumpet and Orchestra, played by our soloist tonight, Philip Schatz, with the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, leader Leslie Hatfield, conducted by Ken Woods.